Hello, listeners. Welcome to our first episode of A-Minder in the March 2022 series. We'll be covering eight papers published in March that explore synaptic connectivity changes in Alzheimer's disease. Stay tuned for a fairly quick but thorough dive into the literature. Welcome to A-Minder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Hi there, my name is Anusha, and I will be your host for this episode. Each month, our sorting team sorts all the literature on Alzheimer's disease into bite-sized topics. This month, there were eight papers on synaptic transmission and neurotransmitters, which I will tell you about in this episode. If you're interested in any of the papers that I cover today, make sure you check out the original paper itself, as our focus for the summaries is only on the abstracts. You can assess the quality of the papers themselves better by visiting the bibliography and looking up the papers that interest you. I'll be giving you the number of each paper in the episode as we go along. Our first three papers focus on synaptic connectivity in Alzheimer's disease, or AD. After our intermission, we'll continue with five more papers, adding amyloid precursor protein and tau into the mix. So let's jump right in with our first paper looking at changes to synaptic connectivity. Paper number one is titled, Structural Disconnectivity Associates with Cholinergic Cell Density in Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Lin, and the last author is Junkman and this was published in the journal Brain. The authors are affiliated with Amsterdam UMC in the Netherlands and Zhejiang University in China. In this paper, we're taking a look at the results of a post-mortem MRI-based study in 28 people. 19 of these participants had Alzheimer's disease, and 10 of those cases were considered amnestic. Here, authors wanted to better understand the implications of atrophy of a brain region with many cholinergic neurons called the nucleus basalis of Maynard. They employed three Tesla T1-weighted MRI to isolate this region, and then diffusion-weighted imaging to better characterize the microstructure. They found both volume and microstructural integrity was reduced in this region in Alzheimer's brains compared to controls. They also found that reduced cholinergic cell density was correlated to reduced connectivity of this region to the superior temporal gyrus and parahippocampal gyrus. Post hoc analysis revealed cholinergic cell density and cortical tract alterations were correlated only in the amnestic AD donors. Altogether, they show that cholinergic degeneration in the nucleus basalis of Maynard might contribute to damaged projections to the temporal lobe and the ensuing cognitive impairment. Next, we have paper number two. Aralene, an endogenous aldehyde, induces synaptic dysfunction in vitro and in vivo. Involvement of Rho-A-ROC2 pathway. The first author is Zhu, and the last author is P, and this was published in the journal Aging Cell. The majority of the authors are affiliated with institutes located in Guangzhou, China. Now we switch our attention to a potential cause of sporadic Alzheimer's disease, the unsaturated aldehyde called aralene. 
It is found to be increased in the brains of AD individuals, but how it is linked to the pathology is unclear. The authors of this paper posit that signaling through the Rho-A rock pathway is involved. First, they looked in vitro in cultured neurons and found that aralene induced axonal damage and synaptic impairment. This was attenuated when rock inhibitors were present in the media. Then they looked at behavior as well as synaptic function in the Morris water maze and simultaneous in vivo field excitatory postsynaptic potentials as well as long-term potentiation recordings. They found that aralene-induced cognitive impairment and attenuated LTP, or long-term potentiation. These could be improved with either knockdown of ROC2 or using the ROC2 inhibitor Facidil. Their findings suggest that ROC2 inhibition may benefit early stages of AD and play a role in aralene-induced damage to synapses. Paper number three is entitled Disrupted Connectivity in the Olfactory Bulb Entorhinal Cortex Dorsal Hippocampus Circuit is Associated with Recognition Memory Deficit in Alzheimer's Disease Model. The first author is Salimi, and the last author is Raufi, and the authors are affiliated with several Iranian and Danish institutes. Another feature of Alzheimer's disease pathology is disrupted neural synchrony between brain regions implicated in memory function. Authors of this paper explore changes to the entorhinal hippocampal circuitry, which is important for recognition memory. It is also one of the earliest circuits to be altered in AD. More specifically, authors took field recordings during a novel object recognition task. They recorded from the closely connected olfactory bulb, entorhinal cortex, and dorsal hippocampus. They compared rats that received A-beta to those that didn't and found that A-beta-treated rats showed significantly impaired task performance and coherence and synchrony during the task. A-beta also reduced the number of viable cells in the olfactory bulb. Their findings shed light on the interconnectivity between brain regions that may be affected in AD. We're about to delve into the longer half of the episode, so in preparation, let's take a short break and hear from Lara on the Aminder team as well as our sponsor. I'm Lara from the bibliography team here at Aminder. Did you know the episode you're listening to has a numbered bibliography that you can find in our show notes or directly on our website? And all of our episodes come with their own bibliographies so that you can easily find and look into the papers that interest you. If you're also interested in keeping up to date with scientific publications in Alzheimer's research and working in collaboration with other teammates, we would love it if you consider joining us. Send your CV and an indication of what you're interested in doing with us to aminderpodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Nearly one million older Canadians live with a form of dementia. This number is expected to double within 10 years, and sadly no solutions exist yet to dramatically reduce these numbers. It has to stop. Research can help solve this problem. We are 350 researchers fully dedicated towards preventing and finding a cure to dementia, and to improve care to those living with dementia. We are the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration and Aging. The solution to dementia could be closer than you think.
Welcome back. We've got five more papers in this episode that look at how amyloid precursor protein, or APP, and tau proteins contribute to the synaptic dysfunction observed in AD. The first of this batch of papers is paper number four of the episode. Upregulation of IP3 receptor mediates APP-induced defects in synaptic downscaling and sleep homeostasis. The first author is Xiao, and the last author is Ping, and this was published in the journal Cell Reports. The authors are bi- uh, affiliated with BioX Institutes in Shanghai, China. With this paper, we are looking at sleep homeostasis in a Drosophila or fruit fly model of AD, in which they overexpress APP. The authors are interested in sleep and synaptic dysfunction, as these are both implicated early on in AD disease progression. They followed up on RNA sequence data that show increased expression of calcium signaling-related genes in the mutants. They found calcineurin expression and activity was increased in the mutants, which triggers the transcription of the protein IP3R, a signaling molecule that when inhibited could restore changes in sleep and synaptic homeostasis. You can read up on the details of their findings further in the paper, but to summarize the abstract, IP3R dysregulation could contribute to the hyperexcitability of synapses and early AD pathology. Up next is paper number five. Presubiculum principal cells are preserved from degeneration in knock-in APP tau mouse models of Alzheimer's disease. The first author is Islam, and the last author is Ali, and this was published in the journal Seminars in Cell and Developmental Biology. This is a collaboration between UCL School of Pharmacology in the UK, as well as two institutes in Japan, the Ricken Center for Brain Science and the Institute of Brain Science. We're looking at two other genetic models of AD, both of which are mutant for APP, but the latter also bearing a mutation in the axonal protein tau. These researchers are interested in why one component of the perforant pathway, which connects the cortex and the hippocampus, is unaffected in AD while neighboring regions are. This magical region is called the presubiculum. They characterized this region using both electrophysiology and neuroanatomical techniques. Their findings revealed that both A-beta and tau pathologies present in neighboring regions early on in the mutant animals, but only fleece-like A-beta deposits are present in the presubiculum in mice between 1 and 2 years old. This is apparently consistent with postmortem AD human tissue as well. Moreover, intrinsic firing properties of pyramidal cells in this region were not different when compared to the wall-type neurons. This was different in both the lateral entorhinal cortex and CA1 hippocampal regions in the mutant animals. But I'll leave it up to you to look into the electrophysiological phenotypes if you're interested in those. To conclude, their data show that presubiculum neurons are uniquely resistant to the AD pathology involving A-beta and tau alterations. That is very intriguing to me. Moving on to paper number six. Inhibition of CK2 mediates Alzheimer's tau pathology by preventing NR2B synaptic mislocalization. The first author is Marshall and the last author is Lee. And this was published in the journal Acta Neuropathologica Communications. The authors are affiliated with University of Pennsylvania Perlman School of Medicine. This is a paper that further looks into the tau pathology associated with AD. 
Authors wanted to bridge the gap in understanding how NR2B subunit containing NMDA receptors contribute to both synaptic dysfunction and tau aggregation. Authors assayed expression of the NR2B regulator casein kinase 2 in the brains of people diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, as well as other tauopathies. They found that casein kinase 2 was aberrantly expressed in synapses of AD brains when compared to other cases of tauopathies. In cultured neurons treated with mutant tau, they recapitulated the same findings. In vitro, shunting of NR2B from synapses to extrasynaptic localization reduced the tau burden. Using memantine, which is an NMDA receptor antagonist, or casein kinase 2 inhibitor, was able to reduce tau accumulation. Interestingly, applying both drugs increased the accumulation of tau. Altogether, their data suggest that NR2B expression and localization is important for AD-related changes to tau, and that inhibitors of casein kinase 2 could be used as a therapeutic tool in AD. Paper number 7 is called Selective Impairment of Circuits Between Prefrontal Cortex Glutamate Neurons and Basal 4 Brain Cholinergic Neurons in a Tauopathy Mouse Model. The first author is Zhang, and the last author is Yan. We have only one middle author, so I will also bring up their surname here, which is Kao. This was published in Cerebral Cortex, and the authors are all affiliated with the University SUNY at Buffalo in the United States. This paper is touching on a subject we've already spoken about in this episode, how brain region connectivity is implicated in Alzheimer's disease. This time, we're looking in the context of the P301S tau mice, which can model tauopathy. I mentioned tauopathy earlier in this episode, but I'll define it again. Tauopathies refer to neurodegenerative diseases characterized by accumulation of the tau protein. Researchers here assessed electrophysiological connection between the prefrontal cortex and the basal forebrain of 6-8 to month old mice. At this age, evoked glutamate transmission was significantly reduced. Fewer action potentials in the basal forebrain could be triggered with prefrontal cortex activation, but input from the prefrontal cortex onto other brain regions, including the amygdala and the striatum, were not altered. They also saw that activating basal forebrain neurons induced a persistent suppression of prefrontal cortex excitability, whereas this suppression is only transient in wild-type mice. They implied that changes to this pathway, which is the prefrontal to basal forebrain pathway, could underlie loss of attention as well as executive functioning in AD. Finally, we have paper number 8, Dendritic Distribution of CDK5 mRNA and P35 mRNA and a glutamate-responsive increase of CDK5-P25 complex contribute to tau hyperphosphorylation. The first author is Tanaka and the last author is Kobayashi, and this was published in the journal Biochimica et Biophysica Acta, General Subjects. The authors are affiliated with Nihon University and Gakushuin University in Japan. One of the tau pathologies in AD is hyperphosphorylated tau accumulating in dendrites. Authors here explored the hypothesis that excitation-dependent activation of the tau kinase CDK5 is involved in the dendritic deposition of hyperphosphorylated tau. 
In primary hippocampal neurons treated with glutamate, authors performed biochemical analysis of mRNA and protein expression. They found mRNAs for CDK5 and its activator P35 in dendrites of neurons, and this was increased in expression after glutamate treatment. They also found increased conversion of P35 to P25, which leads to the formation of hyperactive CDK5. NMDA receptor antagonism, or calpane inhibition, reduced CDK5 phosphorylation of tau following glutamate treatment. All this goes to show that tau hyperphosphorylation may be regulated locally in dendrites through mRNA translation in response to excitatory stimulation. That's it for this episode, but I doubt that's all the AD literature that you are interested in. Lucky for you, there are plenty of other episodes to check out this month. Stay tuned for my other episode on treatments targeting neuroprotection. Or perhaps you're more interested in the clinical side of the equation. In that case, check out Sarah's episode on cognitive assessment or Nyla's on prevention and intervention strategies. All of the literature on AD, regardless of theme, is available in pre-sorted bibliographies for you. Just head over to aminder.com for all the details. Aminder is hiring more volunteers, and I'm always in need of people interested in editing our episodes. If that sounds tantalizing to you, reach out to us through aminderpodcast at gmail.com with your CV. We are also looking for people to host episodes, help with sorting, advertising, and more, so there is something for everyone here at Aminder. If you'd like to support us with less of a time commitment, please take a moment to rate our podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Spotify, and to share it with your friends. We're on social media too, if you'd like to stay in touch or put a face to the voices that you hear. Thank you to our sponsor, the CCNA, for helping us financially in what is otherwise a volunteer effort. Thank you also to the brilliant sorting team for taking on such a big task every month. Thanks to our managers, Sarah, Ellen K, Ellen R, Nyla, Jacques, Lara, and myself. Thank you again to Ellen K for all of her feedback for this episode and to Anjana for the bibliography. I'd also like to take a moment to mention that the music that you hear is called Journey of a Neurotransmitter, and it's a piece that I composed. You can find it on my YouTube channel at AK Music or on SoundCloud under Anusha Kamesh. Most important of all the thank yous is the thank you to you, the listener, for your continued support. We hope you found this podcast useful and accessible. If you did, be sure to keep an ear out for the rest of our March 2022 series.